We're going to have a Bible reading. That's Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. <clears throat> and I'm going to read from verse 31. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you are cursed into the eternal fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? Or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Amen. May the Lord bless that reading to us. This morning I want to tell you about God's work in Uganda. Um, I'm saying it's God's work. People know that I work there. But I'm just his servant. I'm just a tool, one of many, who do God's work in other places. I'm just a servant, the same as we all are. So if I say I or me, please forgive me. Um, it's difficult because I'm involved in it all the time. But I want you to remember that this is God's work and God is moving in the lives of people. And I want to show you some pictures of those lives who he is moving in. I haven't got, how long have we got? 35 minutes, that's longer than normal. And I'll try and stick to that. Um, but I want to tell you as much as I can in the time I've got about the Cogwheel Trust. Um, we're a charitable organization, but we are a children's mission we are a registered charity. We started in 1995. Um, although you know that, or most of you will know, that we work in Uganda, we didn't start there. Uh, uh-huh. uh, we started here. Where is this? India. It's Indian flag. Um, and we started there in 1995. And we started with 12 children. Uh, which soon got to 40 children. Um, God led me to India um, 
when I was in my 40s. I'm still in my 40s, of course, man. So I'm here. But uh, in my 40s, I, although God gave me the passion for India when I was young, even when I was a child, I knew I was going to go to India. I had to wait a long time before that time was right, and God opened the door for me to go. But God's time is always the right time. We need to remember that. He has to prepare us first. There'd be no point in me going to India and have nothing to offer, no, no skills. I had, God had to prepare me first. And you need to remember that. I want to encourage you with that because God might be leading you to do something or to go somewhere. And you say, oh, it's never going to happen. Nothing's happening. Well, if you trust God, it will. Believe me, it will happen. And I went to India and um, I met up with, with pastors there. I went to, to a different mission. We didn't have a mission to start with. I went out to see a children's mission and I was really upset because I didn't see anything being done for children at all. I was there for three weeks. I was sick and I hated it and I just wanted home and, um, and I vowed I'd never go to India again. But it wasn't long before I got home that I got a letter saying, when are you coming back? Because you said you're going to be helping our children. And uh, I realized, you know, God wants me to be there. So we started with 12 children. You see a white person in the back. That's Lorna. Um, she chased me all the way to India, you know. We wasn't married then, but she came looking for me. Isn't that wonderful? That's, that's what love does. That's what love does. So we start with these, these young ones here that you see on the picture. But of course, they're not young anymore. Here's a picture of some of the boys that got together um, not long ago, and, um, and the picture was sent to us. Isn't that great? We're in contact with these young people from, from India all the time. They email us, because with, with Skype and all this sort of stuff, you can actually see them, and it's fantastic. Most of these young people are, are grown up now, they're married, and they have children of their own. This is Panir. He's my son, or our son, I should say. I adopted him um, when I was in India. He was our first orphan boy that we took in to the home. Um, his nickname was the Village Dog because he used to uh, go round from house to house looking for food. Um, he's a different boy now. There he is, all grown up. His lovely wife, Asha, and um, their, their little boy, Adam. You can see I'm his granddad. I look just like him, don't I? <laughs> this is Vicky. Some people say to me, what is the point of helping one child? What good does it do? Well, I'm going to show you what good it does. See this boy, Vicky? Uh, the last time I saw him, he would have been about 12. Um, uh, and, but now he's, he's grown up. And um, he's started a charity in his own village where him and some of his friends who are working put money into it and they help poor children in the village to go to school. What a difference it's made. You think you're only helping one. Some people said to me, you're only helping one or two when the need is so great. But you can't look at it that way. You need to see what difference is going to make to that child, what difference is going to make to the future. This is a lovely photograph. This is uh, Manamikalai and uh, Tamil Vanan. Now, a lot of our children, as I said, have got married. But these are the first two that have got married to one another who were both in our children's home. Um, obviously, Manamikala was in the girls' home and Tamil Vanam was in the boys' home. They were in a different place, but um, Sundays they would get together for worship, um, special events like Christmas and Easter 
um, parties, maybe birthday parties, they would come together and all the children would meet together. And this is where they met. And uh, of course they fell in love and now they're married. Isn't that fantastic? That these are our cogwheel, our cogwheel family out there in India. But of course we're not in India now. But I wanted to show you, you know, the difference it's made to people's lives. You know, when you see a child, you say, yes, I'm helping that child, or it's children's work, but what difference is it going to make in the future? Well, this is the difference that it makes. Right. I was going to show you the, the other flag. It doesn't matter. Um, we're now in... Oh, there it is. Thank you. <laughs> this is a Ugandan flag. It's a long story how we got into Uganda. I just want to briefly tell you that Lorna and myself, we had no money or very little. Um, Lorna's got a big family. I've got a big family. We couldn't afford to get married in Scotland um, because they'd be expecting a big wedding. So we went to Kenya and got married, just the two of us. We got married in church in Kenya, and it was great. But I didn't have a best man. Lorna didn't have a bridesmaid. And so they had to find somebody. And so they found a couple who were married. Um, They were both reverents in the Anglican church in Kenya, and uh, I had the best man, she had the the bridesmaid, and um, the thing was though, that these two were not from Kenya, they were from Uganda, and and, uh, he said to me, what What work do you do? So I told him, and he said, oh, you must come to Uganda, but at that time we were still in India, and uh, I said, well, if, if the opportunity arises, I'll come to Uganda, but in my heart, I didn't want to go to Uganda. I never wanted to go to Africa because I thought, well, everybody helps Africa. You know, I don't want to go to Africa. But when um, the door shut to India and I went into Uganda, I realized what a need there was amongst the children in Uganda. Uh, This is our children's home. It's quite a house, isn't it? It cost us £46,000. And it's on about a third of an acre. And it's on the suburbs of Kampala in a village called Namagongo. Rolls off the tongue, doesn't it, Namagongo? Um, we, couldn't, we didn't have £46,000, but uh, a friend of ours who was a retired businessman said, look, I'll, I'll lend you the money, no interest, you just pay me back when you can. And so we went ahead and uh, we bought it. It had nothing in it, it had no, no electric, no plumbing, some of the floor was missing, no windows, um, it all had to be done. And we had to get it ready in one month to get the kids in. Um, But we did it. But we did it. Uh, And the money was paid back within three years. So that was great. But that's our house. Downstairs we have, um, excuse me, we have uh, the boys, and upstairs we have the girls, and we have a toddler unit as well in the the left-hand window. And we can take, we have had up to 100 children in this house. At the moment we have about 80 Uh, ranging from three years up to 18. So it's quite an expanse of ages there. But they see each other as a family, and they look out for each other at the schools. On the left, you see um, Lydia. She's our manager in Uganda. She runs it when I'm not there. And uh, she's a lovely Christian girl, and the children love her, and uh, she's very good with them. And then the other lady is Mary, who's assistant manager. You can see she's pregnant there. And uh, she gave birth to a little boy just before Christmas. So that was brilliant. 
I was hoping she could give to birth when we were there last time, but she didn't. She held on. So there we go. But uh, that's Lydia and Mary. All our workers out there are from Uganda. And a lot of our workers are young people who have come through the home and now have grown up. Now, we're there for the children, of course. And the problem is in Uganda, as in sub-Sahara Africa in general, um, AIDS is a big problem. And so for children, they tend to lose their parents um, at a very early age. Um, And so you get the children and then you get the grandparents. Uh, The middle ones are wiped out. And so you say, well, where do these children go? You know, if your mum and dad die, where do you go? Because you've got to bear in mind these families are big. Um, Eight children is nothing. It could be up to 15. Um, So the families are big. Um, And the reason they're big is because, uh, you know, children die young. Children will die. So, uh, and to, to support you in your old age, you need children. So you produce children when you can. And so here we have all these children without a mum, without a dad. Where do you go? Uh, the, you have three choices, basically. One is that you can go on the streets and beg. The second one is that you can go and live with an aunt or uncle. Now, bearing in mind that your aunt or your uncle will probably have 10 or 12 children as well. Um, it's unlikely you're going to get much help. They'll put a roof over your head, but that's about it. And the third choice is you can go and live with granny and granddad. And so you get grandparents who are stuck, if you like, with lots and lots of children. I know a family who have a granny who has 38 children in a hut. And she has to try and support them by growing stuff herself and feeding the children. There's no way they will get to go to school. So it's a real problem. When children come into the children's home, um, they're expected to continue as they would if they were out of it, up to a point. Uh, We don't want to change the culture of Ugandan children. Um, We want to enhance it, but we don't want to change it. Um, So what happens is the children, when they come in, they're given jobs to do. Because as soon as a child is old enough to carry a knife or carry a bucket, then they start working. There's no playing. There's, it's work, work, work when you start. And so these children are used to having to work. So it would be wrong for them to come into the home and not be given anything to do. They need to work. They don't give, we don't give them a lot of jobs to do, and they don't have to work for long, but they do have to do something. And one job they do is to wash their own clothes when they're old enough. We do have a laundry person who does bedding um, and who looks after the little ones. But as soon as they're able to wash clothes, then they wash their own clothes. They'll be used to, the children will be uh, expected to to clean the compound. Um, Even the toilets, they clean toilets. And they don't mind, they're quite happy to clean toilets. And you want them to to stay in their own culture, uh, but not being pressurized into being continued all the time. They get time to play and enjoy being alive. Now, um, bathing time and washing clothes time and cooking time goes away with a lot of water. And in Uganda, we don't have a lot of water. The way we get it, we do have mains water at the children's home, um, but it's not always on. 
If there's a power cut, um, if it's a dry season, then there's a lack of water, so you don't get any. So we have to catch water when we can. So we catch rainwater. So it comes onto the roof, goes into the gutter, and feeds down into a big tank at the front of the house where we store it, and then we can use it during the dry season. And, and that's what we do. But you can imagine the amount of water we go through. Um, these children are bathed twice a day. Um, the, obviously, the adults who are living with them, they have to bath as well. You've got all these clothes to wash. So we go through a lot of water, so we have to be very careful with water. So when you come out to visit us, you don't get a lot of water to bathe with. Um, we get a basin and we get a jug. The basin is half full of water, if you're lucky. And, and that's it. So you have to learn how to bath and rinse in the same water. So it's quite a, quite a feat, really. And you find that once you have bathed, you're still a dirt, you know, feet are still dirty. You can't seem to get clean. But you, know, you have to be careful that uh, you don't use too much water. Now, we have lots of different types of children in our home. We're not an orphanage. Uh, a lot of our children do have family but they're with us for certain reasons. Um, you see here at the back, this is Edgar. You see he's lost his hand, and the other hand is deformed. Now, Edgar has got burns, um, burn scars on all parts of his body. When he was a small child, um, there was a candle fell on the mattress, and it smoldered all around him. And so he was badly burned, as you can see. Um, the problem was that he was hidden away, because children who have got deformities, um, are not allowed to go into the community. So they're held back. They're not allowed to go to school. Um, they're just hidden away. So when Edgar was brought to us, we said, right, he's going to school. He's going to nursery. And uh, we sent him to nursery. <clears throat> uh, the next day, I realized he hadn't gone to nursery. And I said to Lydia, I said, why is Edgar not at nursery? She said, I don't know, I'm going, I need to find out. So she went and found out. And uh, she came back and said, the teacher said that the children are scared of him because of his, his, in, his injuries there. But actually, that wasn't the true story. The true story was that the teachers didn't want to teach him because he was deformed. And that's the sad thing. But of course, what I said was, well, I went round to see the teacher and I said, look, if you don't take him, I'll take the other 30 children out. And you get no school fees from us whatsoever. So they had no choice but to take him back. And uh, Edgar is now um, in Senior 1. He's just finished Primary 7 and is just starting in Senior 1. And although he hasn't got much of a hand there, he can hold a pen, he can draw, he can write, he can do anything. We don't do anything for Edgar. He does it all for himself. And the little boy in the front is Sam. Um, Sam suffered from rickets which affects the bones. And so he would, had to... We didn't know if he was going to have, have an operation um, or whether we could just uh, give him drugs to help him. So we decided, first of all, we would start with the drugs, calcium tablets, and uh, it's made a big difference. Uh, this is Edgar now. As you can see, quite a nice-looking young boy. And this is Sam. And where he was knock-kneed and couldn't stoop to go to the toilet... Um, now he's got strength in his legs and you wouldn't know that there's anything wrong with him. What a big difference it's made to both those boys' lives. Now we have 
a worship time. Um, it's not because uh, we started that. That's something they've always done. Uh, you've got to bear in mind that Uganda is a Christian country. It's about 60% Christian. And people are used to going to church. The churches are full. Um, and every day, uh, they'll have a time of worship, a time of prayer, and somebody will give a little talk. Um, in the mornings, they will also have a time of prayer and singing. The last time I was there, I had to tell them off because this, this is bad, isn't it? Telling them off for worshiping God. But they were up at four in the morning, and the whole neighborhood was woken up with the singing and the shouting. So I had to put them to bed for another hour. But, uh, but they love to worship God, and we want to encourage that and bring them up in a loving Christian environment. Not all the children come from Christian backgrounds. We have um, a lot of children from Muslim backgrounds as well. But they're also used to worship, maybe in a different way. So they fit in quite well with uh, the way we worship and really enjoy it. We have a lot of children um, who are converted from being Muslim to Christian. But because it's quite dangerous for them if they've still got relatives who they visit um, when they go home. Um, it can be quite dangerous for them, so we have to be very, very careful. This is Ivan. Um, Ivan came into our children's home when he was very little. He was, he was about three there, although he looks a lot younger. His mum was uh, a teenager who had been raped. Um, the father, we don't know who he was, so she didn't want the boy. Um, she got together with another young man, and the, the two of them uh, used to beat Ivan quite badly. This is his back. When he came in, you'll see the whip marks along his back and the burn marks where they used to stab him with a, the hot stick from the fire. Um, so this boy was very traumatized, you can imagine, when he came in. Uh, but here he is today, and uh, he's in our school. This is our school uniform. And if you can see the text, I don't know if you can read it from there, with God all things are possible. That's our school motto. With God, all things are possible. So we praise God for the way that, um, that Ivan was brought to us. You know, If they had continued to beat him, he wouldn't be here today. Um, but he's a happy little boy and doing very well. You can imagine, though, how afraid he was when he came into the children's home. A lot of the children are. We have children who come in who are not able to speak, um, not able to walk even. Um, they don't smile. They don't know how to react with adults properly. Um, so, you know, when, this, when they come in like that, you really feel a burden for them. And they really need that extra help to get them out of that. When you visit now, you wouldn't know. I'm sure Declan will tell you. you know, the children are very loving and very caring, and they love us to go. When I first went to Uganda, the children wouldn't come near me which was a bit odd because in India they tend to be all over you. But in Uganda, the children used to ignore us, basically. And I felt that quite difficult to, to put up with. You know, I couldn't understand why that was until I understand now uh, that adults hadn't been good to them. Why should they come to us? You know. This is uh, Hassan. And uh, Hassan should, should really be dead. Him and his brother were shut away in a hut by their grandmother. She was an alcoholic, and uh, she would leave them for days and days on end. 
And uh, somebody from the village heard them crying and uh, went in and rescued them. And we have them now. But Hazem was at uh, was death's door when he came to us. A very, very sick boy indeed. But as you can see, he's, uh, he's okay now. Apart from his eyesight, he's, uh, he's doing fine. Now when we go to Uganda, we try and take as much stuff as we can, as you know, because some of you have helped in providing pyjamas last time, you remember? Uh, we took out pyjamas. And every time we go out, we take as much stuff as we possibly can. Um, if we can take two suitcases out, which we are allowed usually, then that's 46 kilos each. So if you do come and visit, we expect you to bring two suitcases. And uh, if you say, well, I can't fill it, I can. Okay? I've got plenty of stuff. I can fill a suitcase. So if you want to come. But if you're anywhere where you see a bargain, get it. If, if, Asda, if you're in Asda and there's boys shorts down or a quid, you buy them. All right? God will bless you for it. You don't worry about the money. God will bless you for that. You just buy the shorts or buy the toothbrush or whatever it is. You know, just get it when it's, when it's a bargain and, uh, and put it away and we will take it out. So any clothes from underwear um, to summer-type clothes. Somebody gave me leather trousers once and a scarf. Well, that's not really suitable. But something that that's, we would wear in the summer is okay. So summer dress for the girls, Shorts, T-shirts for the boys is fine. And then shoes. They only really wear shoes for school. So it's nice for them to get something to wear leisurely. And Crocs are good because they're very light. They're a bit bulky, but they are light and we can take them out. So we try and take out as much stuff as we can. We never travel there light. We always take loads of stuff. This is the children getting ready for school. And as I say, this is when they wear school shoes, and it's a bit of a pest because they go through school shoes quick. Um, we think our children do. But there's a, because of the weather conditions, because it's either dry or hot, the shoes either rot in the mud or they get broken um, on, the, on a hard clay. So they're very hard on shoes. And when children go to school, it's costly for us because we have to not only pay school fees, but we also have to buy things for them to take. Even toilet rolls we have to buy. So every child has to take a box of toilet rolls. Goodness knows if they go through them within the course of a term. Reams of paper we have to supply. Brushes and brooms, as well as pens and pencils and books. So it's, it's quite a thing. Every, every term, beginning of every term, we have to find all this money to buy these things. But we're conned because a lot of the schools will take this stuff, they'll put aside what is needed and they'll sell the rest to put, get money into the school. So that's one of the reasons we decided to start our own primary school, which we have now. So that's helped that quite a bit. Uh, this is Sumaya. Um, Sumaya has learning difficulties. She was, um, she was abandoned at our gate one night, and the watchman heard her whimpering outside and, uh, and brought her in. And she's been with us ever since. We've never been able to find out who, who dumped her there. But she's still with us. And she goes to our school. As I say, she's got learning difficulties. Um, she's only in primary three, although she would be 14. But at least she's learning at her own pace, which is a good thing. This is Angel. Um, we've got three angels. <coughs> um, Angel here was brought to us when she was three. She was the same age as 
Emily when Emily went out the first time. And Emily was standing here. Angel was down there. Um, she's a very small girl. She has, she's HIV positive, so she's on treatment every day. And she goes to the clinics every month. Um, she also had TB. She couldn't walk. She couldn't talk. She was left every night. Her mum was a prostitute on the streets. So she was left every night to fend for herself. Um, and there she would be on the streets, just, you know, in a world of her own. Nobody would look at her. Nobody would take her on. And nobody would care about that child. Nobody to speak to. And yet somebody could have come and abducted her and nobody would know anything about it. And there she was. But Angel is doing very well now. She's keeping well and she's in our school and very happy little girl. Now, if you do come, you can do some work for us. Uh, this is David. He lives in Macduff. And David's been out twice now to come and help do some work for us. A lovely Christian man. And he said, well, I've got no, nothing to do now. Um, I can come. So he does. But of course, if you have a ladder, you have to be very, very careful. Health and safety is always important. So you have somebody on the bottom <laughs> just to make sure that it doesn't slip, of course. This is Emily. This was three years ago. Um, Lorna keeps reminding me she hasn't been for three years. So uh, we're hoping to all go out in October. So if anybody wants to come with us in October, um, we're hoping to go out again then. So this is Emily and Lewis. They both love to get dirty. It's funny, you know, they're just like the other kids when they get there. They just play in the dirt, play with a bottle top and a piece of string, and uh, they're very happy. So. But it's good for them to go and to see how other children have to live. Now, these are some of our boys. Every, uh, every uh, Friday night, we have a time of fun, and we have a party. That's fine, Eddie, thank you. We have uh, a party, and uh, we have singing and dancing. Everybody has to be involved. You know, I'm not a very good dancer, but uh, even I have to get up and give them a laugh, uh, which we do. So here we are, the boys dancing, and they're very, very good at dancing. They break dance. Um, even in the church, they break dance, and it's brilliant to see it. I asked an elderly man in the church, do you like the break dancing in the church? And he says, well, if they're doing it for God as a worship to God, then I'm happy with it. You know? And they are. They said, we don't like singing, we like dancing. But of course, when you get dancers, you always get someone who likes to be better, don't you? And there we go. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's doing his best, but not quite as good. And you always get someone, don't you, who, um, who likes to show off a bit, who likes to think that they're stronger than anybody else, <laughs> you know? And oh, there, yes, there's Declan again. But, uh, but it's great to be involved with the young people and, and give them a laugh. And, and that's really what the children like. They like us to be involved in what they're doing. That's a nice picture, isn't it? And uh, it's good to come and make friends. Uh, this is Sam. He actually came... Um, uh, sorry, Isaac. He came into our children's home uh, when Declan was there with me last time. Um, his, his mum was thrown out of her village when her husband died. And uh, they found refuge in a church. Uh, but the church said that they wouldn't support the two of them. They would only help the, the mother. So um, why they couldn't help the child, I don't know. So we took in the child. So that's why he's with us. 
Um, this is Edgar. He's another Edgar. I'm having to watch my time here because I've got lots to say and no time. So I'm going to race on. Uh, this is Edgar. Uh, you can see he's not in, in Uganda. He's in Scotland. He came here to get an operation on his hand. Um, he also had a, fell in a fire when he was a baby. And his hand was burnt back. If you can imagine the, the back of the hand lying on the forearm, that's how it was burnt. So he couldn't use that hand at all. And uh, a friend of ours... Uh, who was an orthopedic surgeon in Wigan, said if we can get him down, if we get him to Wigan, he would do the operation. And so we, we paid for, um, for him to come over, and he had the operation. He's a very difficult boy to look after, because he's into everything. Um, we went to my brother's house in West Hill. Now, my brother's house is rather nice. It's minimalist, you know, not like ours. And it's beautiful. And we took him there, and when we got in the door, he says, Uncle, I want to go upstairs. I said, well, you don't need to. I said, they've got a bathroom downstairs. He said, I don't want to use the bathroom. He says, I want to go and see what they've got upstairs. I said, I'll come with you. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's Edgar today. You can see his, um, his hold in his cap. He's only got three digits, but um, he's able to use that hand, and he's very good at woodwork. Uh, this is our school. We started school two years ago. This is our th- start of our third year. We started with primary one to primary four, then we increased it to primary six. Now we've got the full uh, quota for primary seven. Uh, um, these are our children. We now have 125 um, in the school, and the numbers keep going up. Uh, school there is not like school here. It's how I would remember it, as being looking at a blackboard, and copying down what the teacher put down, and chanting what the teacher says, and, uh, and that's the type of education they have there. But this is our primary school, and, um, uh, but the children are very, very happy. We, it's not just children from our children's home who go there. We have a lot of children from the area who are needy, who are maybe with granny, or need extra help. Um, they're also there with us. So we help a lot of children in the community as well. We have a PTA. Um, it's not for money because there's no money. Uh, this is to get the people from the village uh, involved in the school and to make them feel part of the school, to make it realise it's their own. We don't have a lot of apparatus, as you can see, so you make use of what you've got, a stick. Um, yeah, there's a stick as well. Um, and there's Lydia chasing the stick for some reason. Um, she was trying to get him to go faster, so she said, I'll chase him. But I don't know why, because she couldn't catch him. But there we go. Um, and there's the hurdles. We used water carriers and a stick. The problem is they set it all out, and then a car came around the corner, and we had to take it all down again, and then put it up again. But they didn't seem to worry too much about that. And there's the long jump, which is good if you've got dry skin, because it's hard ground. There's no sand. Um, this is one of our teachers. Now, Nicholas was in our children's home from the time he was 10. Um, He's gone right through, and uh, he worked for us as a house parent to pay for his college course, and then we assisted him to continue with his uh, teaching course. So he's now finished as a qualified teacher, and he started in our own primary school um, last week. So that's great news that we're able to help the older children like that. This is the text that we have on the board outside our children's centre and our school. 
It says, train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. A well-known verse to us, I expect, but such a wonderful verse, because it is all about training the child in the right way, how God wants them to live and to be. Um, this is our land at Kanganda. It's just a piece of land, but we've got 10 acres. If anybody's got any idea what we can do with it. Um, this is in a different place. We want to put a, maybe a school and a children's home there. But we're praying about that, and uh, you know, we'll be raising funds for that at some point. Now, I'm going to finish on, on this one, because uh, I know time has gone, and I, don't, I know the children are coming out. So, but I want to just briefly tell you about Mike, because... Um, I went out to Uganda um, two years ago in January to start the school and it all fell apart, basically. Um, it didn't happen. And I, I, I asked her, why am I there? Why, what was the point of me? Yes, there's plenty for me to do, but I'd gone to do that sole job and, um, and it fell apart. And about two days later, Lydia came through into my room and she, she says, Uncle, we've got a big problem. I says, what is it? He said, um, Mike Cato is in prison. I said, in prison? Why is he in prison? He said, well, uh, he's murdered somebody. And my heart sank because we, we support this little boy in the village where our school is. He was 11 then. And I said, right, let's go. We must go and see him. And she said, you can't go. She says, because if you go and support him, they'll arrest you as well. She said, his father is in hiding because they'll arrest him. So I said, well, if he was Lewis, I would be there. So I said, I'm going. So I went, excuse me, I went, and um, I went to the police office, and the police said, well, he was brought here, but he's not here now. Uh, You better go straight to the prison. So we went up to the prison, and uh, we knocked on the door. There was a, a little window in the prison wall, and there was a man looking out. And uh, he says, what do you want? I says, I want to come in. He said, well, that's funny. Everybody else wants to come out. You know? <laughs> so I said, well, I need to come in and see if this boy is there. Anyway, after a long story, we, f- we didn't find him. So we went to another place where they have police cells, and he was there. And when he came out to see us, he was smelling. I said, I'm going to get you some clean clothes. He said, you can't because I have to keep in these clothes until I go to the, the court. And I said, well, I'll get you some food. So I said, what happened? He said, well... I was down at the, the well, and uh, I was eating jackfruit. And he says, this boy came to me, he says, and asked for a piece of jackfruit. So I says, yes, you can have a piece. So he took it, and uh, instead of taking one piece, he took two. He says, so I hit him on the nose. So uh, I said, right. So he said, his nose started to bleed. I said, well, did he collapse? He said, no, no, he says, he just went home. So I says, right. I says, this doesn't sound right. I said, when did this happen? He said, 12 days ago. So it just doesn't sound right. So anyway, to cut a very long story short, on the way back, uh, I said to Lydia, I don't know how we're going to get that boy out of that prison cell. So she said, well, there is one way you can do it. You can bribe them. You can pay the police. You can, you can pay the, the, the father of the other boy, and, uh, and you can bribe them. But I, we're trying to teach the children how to live here, the Christian life. We don't want corruption in the home. We don't want it. The next day, there's a knock on the door. It's Lydia again. She says, oh, you better come. Mike's father is here. 
So I came and saw him and he put his arms around me. And he says, thank you so much, he says, for coming. I says, why? He says, well, you've done wonderful things for my son. I says, I only visited him in prison. He said, I know. He says, but when the authorities saw that a white man had come, they decided to do an autopsy or a post-mortem on the boy that died. And they found that he didn't die of a brain hemorrhage or anything to do with the head. Um, he had kidney failure. He had kidney disease and died of kidney failure. Um, and so, of course, Mike was let out the next day. If I hadn't have been there, and I don't say me, it could have been any of you, it's the colour of the skin, that if we hadn't have been there, uh, Mike would be in prison today for his life, and I mean life. So we praise God for the way he's helped that boy in sending me at the right time. God's time is always the right time. And I'm going to finish on that slide, and I'm going to leave it with you open. Because I want you to pray about how you can help. I'm not asking for anything. Pray about how you can help us. If you want to get involved, we have child sponsorship. Um, you can come and help. You can pray for us. Whatever you want to do, whatever God lays on your heart, I would ask you to do. Because then you will be blessed mightily. Lovely. Thank you very much for listening to me um, this morning. We're going to sing. Have we got time to sing? I think we have. We're going to sing a lovely song, Here I Am, Holy Available. And I'm going to ask the question, how available are you to do what God is calling you to do?